Hello and welcome to this Head Talks podcast. I'm Terry Stiasny and I've been talking to the sleep scientist Sophie Bostock. She's been telling me how we can help get our sleep back to normal after lockdown, about the impact of sleep on our moods and why it's so important to make time to plan when you're going to go to sleep. My name's Sophie Bostock and I'm a sleep scientist turned sleep evangelist, which basically means that I have the best job in the world. I try and help people to get the right amount of something which makes them look good, feel great, live longer, and it's absolutely free. So I deliver training to companies, coaching to individuals. I work with sports and the military and the media to just try and champion the importance of sleep. And how was that something that you got into as a scientist? I was actually doing a PhD in a topic called psychobiology. So the interreactions between how we think and feel and our physical health. And during the course of that work, I was very interested in work stress and why work stress is kind of bad for you. And while I was doing some interventions, actually using meditation, a number of people started to come back saying, well, I, I don't know if I can meditate, but I'm definitely sleeping better. And when I looked at the data, the people who slept better, those were the people who were more positive, who seemed to be more resilient to stress. And that just kind of opened up this this whole world of sleep science I really hadn't been aware of. Uh, so then I, I spent the next few years doing research and working with a company called Sleepio, which has an online sleep improvement program, and looking at the impact of that on improving well-being and performance. And, uh, you know, the world is your oyster when it comes to sleep, but it kind of uh, helps with a bit of everything. We've heard lately about lots of people, we're coming out of lockdown now as we speak, and we've heard about lots of people who have felt that one of the main things they've noticed during that period has been that their sleep has been massively disturbed. Can you tell me a bit about why that might be and whether people can expect sleep to start going back to normal once everything else goes back to normal? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Sleep problems have been very widely reported in the context of a global pandemic. And, And when you think about what that means, certainly what it meant at the beginning, it was the context of global uncertainty. Nobody had a mental map to know where this was going, what was going to happen. So, of course, that caused anxiety. Uh, And anything which prompts our brain to be uncertain and to to think that there might be a threat means that we provoke a stress response. And that stress response, which evolved to help us fight, flight, or uh, freeze in the face of danger, is kind of the opposite of what we want when we're trying to sleep. We've probably all had that experience where we've gone to maybe spend a night in a hotel or just sleeping in a new bed, and you tend to have worse sleep. And researchers call that the first night effect. And if we sense any kind of potential danger, it's like our, our brains stay a little bit on edge and we don't get into a deeper sleep. So as soon as things become a little bit more familiar, and we feel safe, we get that sense of predictability, then we're likely to sleep better. So the good news is that, yeah, as we return to what feels like normal for us, then a lot of these sleep problems will start to disappear. But I think you've pointed out that not everybody is affected in the same way by you know, either events in the world around them or things that they are worrying about. And that doesn't have the same effect on everybody's sleep. Why is that? It's absolutely true. Yes, even if you have two people who are exposed to exactly the same amount of stress, 
their response in terms of how it impacts their sleep will be very variable. And scientists call this their sleep reactivity, which is really the vulnerability of your sleep system to stress. So how you know whether you're a sleep reactive person or not, um, if you think about common situations such as the night before a presentation, or perhaps having had an argument with your partner, or watching a scary movie. These are things which for some people will prevent them from sleeping at night or they'll wake up in the early hours of the morning, whereas some people will just kind of take it in their stride. Their sleep might not be affected, but they might actually be affected in other ways. So, for example, some people have um, more reactivity uh, in their gut and they might have gut symptoms. Other people might become more anxious and depressed. So sleep reactivity is just one of the ways that this stress response um, can, can be experienced. And we know that this is related to your genetics, but also your experience. So if you've suffered insomnia in the past, it often seems to leave a bit of a scar. It means that you're a bit more vulnerable to the impacts of stress on your sleep in the future. So what can people learn to do about that? If you recognise that, say, as you say, you know, worrying about a big day at work ahead or worrying about something that might have happened the day before really affects you, what can you do apart from wake up at three in the morning and start to worry about it even more? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, worrying about sleep is probably the, one of the number, thing, number one things that, that really is a source and, and fuels insomnia. Um, so short of, of telling people, don't worry about your sleep, which I, I do say a lot, but that's obviously very difficult because once you recognise that sleep is a challenge for you, then you actually become more predisposed to focus on you know, there's news reports about the dangers of not sleeping enough. You know, you become very, very centered on sleep as a challenge. So what can you do? Well, you can strengthen your natural sleep system. There are two systems which control your sleep. And then stress is kind of like a third disruptor, which can mess with the other two. But your core sleep systems are your circadian rhythm or body clock. So this is your intrinsic 24-hour rhythm which is written into your cells every cell in the body contains this set of instructions which mean that you are more active during daylight hours and you tend to sleep and recover overnight so when we have very regular schedules when we wake up at a similar time each day it really helps to coordinate all of these body clocks they work very efficiently together and they're also able to anticipate when you're going to wake up in the morning with a big injection of, of cortisol to get your body going so you feel alert. And they can also anticipate when you're likely to go to sleep. So you start very naturally to produce melatonin, the hormone that signals to the body that it's time for sleep. So regular routines really are really important for strengthening that, that sleep system. And then the second system which influences sleep is called sleep pressure. And this is quite straightforward. The longer you have been awake, the more you build up a pressure to sleep. And this is because of a buildup of a chemical called adenosine, which makes us feel drowsy. So if you have lots of naps during the day, there's a chance that you might reduce that sleep pressure and make it harder to sleep through the night. But conversely, if you actually go to bed 
perhaps a little bit uh, later than normal, you can actually increase that sleep pressure. And sometimes it means it's slightly easier to sleep through the night. And that's sometimes used in a therapeutic way. Uh, you actually compress your sleep window just for a certain amount of time to help you relearn to sleep through the night. Uh, and things like caffeine, by the way, will, will mess with that sleep pressure. It's like caffeine disrupts the action of adenosine it blocks the receptors in the brain so you temporarily feel less sleepy so avoiding stimulants too close to bedtime is obviously a good idea and we've talked a bit about the impact of you know the stress of the sort of the external world if you like tell me a bit about the relationship between things that are more going on in your own mind like you know if people are suffering from anxiety or depression perhaps what's the relationship there with their quality of sleep very tightly linked. I think we've known for a long time that probably over two thirds of people who suffer from anxiety or depression will also suffer from poor sleep. And actually, sleep disruption is one of the symptoms of, of depression. But conversely, for those people who suffer from insomnia, at least two thirds probably also experience some sort of common mental health disorder. And I think our understanding of that relationship between sleep and mental health disorders has changed quite dramatically over the last 10, 20 years. It used to be thought that poor sleep was simply a symptom, but we now know that poor sleep actually has a causal impact on mental health. There's very much a bi-directional relationship between the two. So insomnia more than doubles the risk of future anxiety and depression. But this is actually good news because it means that we can treat the poor sleep and help to alleviate the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And there's lots of research now, huge study, for example, uh, published by a team in Oxford who used online cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia over six weeks to treat 3,700 people and 10 and 22 weeks later they reported not only a reduction in anxiety and depression but also lower rates of paranoia and hallucinations just really showing that better sleep is a very powerful um, remedy for a lot of, of mental health disorders. We know the basics of how cognitive behavioural therapy works. It is sort of, I suppose, trying to tell your brain to, to think in a different way, perhaps. I don't know if that's the, the best way of describing it. Uh, how, how does that work with, with reference to sleep? Then? So there are some of the same tools for CBT for anxiety and depression as there will be for insomnia. Um, so, for example, challenging negative thoughts. So if you're very fixated on the fact that you you feel like you have to have eight hours of sleep to function well the next day, you can actually challenge those thoughts because it's probably not really true. You can probably think of lots of occasions where you had a bit less sleep and actually the day didn't go so badly. And we also know from a scientific perspective that although seven to nine hours is the average that most people will need to function at their best, there are people at the extremes. So a minority of people actually might get by perfectly well on six hours sleep and there might be others who need a little bit more. So there is a cognitive aspect to try and challenge some of those unhelpful, obsessive thoughts about sleep, but there's also a really important behavioural component. Um, I've talked already about trying to institute a regular routine but we can also help to strengthen our body clocks with things like daylight. Daylight is this 
um, really powerful injection of energy for our body clock. So if we get plenty of daylight first thing in the morning, it kickstarts the body clock and you're much more likely to not only feel more alert during the day, but also be ready to wind down at night. So CBT combines these cognitive and behavioral aspects um, and very often it will include an element of tracking as well. So just keeping a very simple sleep diary so that you are tracking your patterns and you become more aware of what is influencing your sleep. And we hear a lot also about the importance of the kind of light and what you're exposing yourself to uh, before you try and sleep. How important is it, the idea that you should keep things like your phone or your computer away from your beds when you're trying to sleep? This is a really interesting one. Um, There's been a lot of talk about blue light. And actually, if we could just screen out the blue light, there wouldn't be a problem. Um, And this comes from the science that the midday sun is very rich in blue light or the cyan wavelength of light, which is particularly alerting to the receptors on the back of the eye, which signal a master clock in the brain that it's time to wake up. So that blue light, particularly in the morning, has a very alerting effect. And so sort of by association, there was an assumption that if we could take the blue light out of phones and laptops, then that would be helpful for our sleep. And the research sort of backs it up a little bit. In fact, what's probably more important is the intensity of light overall. So if you screen out the blue light on your phone, but you're actually sitting under very bright lights, that's actually going to have much more of an impact than what you are experiencing through your phone. A lot of the research which has linked use of phones and technology to sleep has found that it does disrupt sleep, it delays sleep, and probably the more important aspect is actually what's called kind of sleep displacement. So it's just that people go to bed later because they're using their phones more. So my advice is still the same. In an ideal world, leave your phone outside of the bedroom, try and switch it off an hour before you want to go to sleep. And that's really just that you don't get hooked on it. And you don't check work emails, which can also spark stress in the last sort of hour or so before bed, because that's that's going to interfere. I was going to say, might it also be that you've just seen something stupid that someone said on Twitter or an alarming piece of news that has just broken overnight and that might have this be part of the effect as well? 100%, yeah. And I think especially around when uh, coronavirus first started and people are very hungry for news. Our brains are information hungry at the best of times and when you're in an anxious state you're even more desperate sort of for the latest updates and I think a lot of people according to the research were spending more time on their phones particularly late at night which then delays their bedtime um, also probably adds to the stress uh, so that everything added up probably to interfere with sleep. So if now is the time maybe when people are trying to set a new routine, get back to work, get back to school, get their life sort of back on track again, is now a good time to start resetting your sleep habits as well? I think there's never a bad time to reset your sleep habits, to be honest. I mean, very simple changes can make such a big difference. I've talked already about just trying to wake up at the same time each day. A lot of people they plan their meals, you know, they'll plan what they're going to buy at the shops and they might plan going to the gym. But very few of us actually sit there at the beginning of the week and go, right, am I going to have enough time for sleep? 
And I think this is really important as we're entering into a time when things are unlocking. We've got more opportunities to go out to the pub pretty soon. The restaurants are going to be open. Happy days. But there's a temptation to then try and make up for lost time and spend more time out and go to bed later. And actually, that could have detrimental effects on our sleep and also our appetite to be sociable. One of the interesting impacts on lack of sleep is actually that it tends to make us feel more socially withdrawn. So when you are looking ahead to your week, absolutely, you know, go out, be sociable, catch up with friends and family, but make sure that you build in time for recovery. So most of us need at least seven hours sleep to function at our best. In order to get that seven hours, we really need to be in bed with the lights off for eight hours because nobody sleeps 100% of the night. There's time to actually get into sleep and then we sleep in cycles. So it's not unusual to wake up once or twice a night briefly uh, and then go back to sleep again. Some people will wake up for a little bit longer. And the older you are, actually, the more likely you are to have more disrupted sleep. So give yourself a chance to get at least seven hours by spending eight hours in bed. Despite everything you know and everything you've studied, do you yourself ever suffer from sort of broken sleep? And if so, what do you do about it? I think that's a great question. I, just like everybody else, around the, the beginning of, of the pandemic, I started waking up in the early hours of the morning and I've always been a pretty good sleeper. Um, I do quite a lot of exercise, I get lots of natural light, but still I was waking up at three, four o'clock in the morning and that was quite new for me. Uh, And being a bit of a sleep geek, I was like, oh, that's interesting, what's going on here? And I realised that, you know, I was part of the overall context, the overall environment I was in. So I got to experiment with a few relaxation techniques. And my personal favourite to just try and switch off the stress response, just distract the mind from obsessing about the fact I've woken up in the middle of the night, um, was just to try some slow, controlled breathing. So there are a number of different breathing techniques, and, and I'm sure they're all very helpful. But in the middle of the night, when your brain is a bit confused, I just used one, two breathing. So I breathe in through the nose for one and out for two. So that with each out breath, I was breathing out for a little bit longer than I was breathing in. So just gradually slowing things down. And once that was kind of fine, then I breathe in for two and out for three. And then in for three and out for four. And I'll probably go up to about five or six, depending on how I felt. And after a couple of cycles of that, just concentrating on my breath, slowing things down, feeling relaxed, Um, more often than not, sleep would would come. But even if it didn't, and and just occasionally this happens that if you can't get back to sleep, the best thing you can do if you've been awake for 15 or 20 minutes or so is actually to get out of bed. Don't lie there getting frustrated because that just teaches the brain that your bed is a place for frustration. So it's more productive to just get out of bed, except, okay, tonight wasn't a great night of sleep. Go somewhere else in your house, perhaps read a book, listen to music. If you feel sleepy again, great, get it back into bed. And if not, maybe start your day and just rest assured that the following night, because you will have some additional sleep pressure, your sleep is likely to be deeper to compensate. 
Um, so, so try not to let the odd poor night of sleep get you down. Sophie, thank you so much for talking to us. That was great. Total pleasure. Thanks, Terry. Sophie's also planning a big adventure this summer when she'll be rowing around Britain in aid of the British Heart Foundation. We're hoping to catch up with her again and find out what that does to her mood and her sleep patterns. Thanks for listening to this Head Talks podcast. We hope you found it helpful and interesting. You can find many more talks on our website at headtalks.com or listen to our podcasts on all the usual channels.